I'm stunned to read that. The Dow only had five positive days in a month. This is in the summer 2012. of 2012. Yeah. So the Dow only had five positive days in July of 2012. Five positive days in a month for the first time since 1968. So that's 25 years. And I'm stunned because most months there's 20 or 21 trading days. That's it. Yeah. So only having five? That's nothing. I would be, I well, think it would be. It's, it's, it's nothing now. No. In, in the moment, it was probably like, why isn't the market going up? 2012 wasn't such a hot year. No, I mean, it was, it was fine. The market was up. Yeah. It's not like it was a bad year. It wasn't a bad year, but it was uh, not one of these runaway trains like 2013. No, I mean, but, but can, is that the norm, though? Should we expect 30% returns? You know what I mean? I no, mean, I if know it what were, you're saying. If it was up, what, like high single high single digits or maybe I'm, low double digits that year, like that's I, a good year in the market. I guess the two things that kind of stun me when I read that, first of all, having just five days out of a, say, 21-day period, that seems like that should happen all the time. And the second thing that kind of is stunning or surprising to me is that someone's actually counting this stuff Right, meaningless stats. It's I'm sure ridiculous. It's not. It's not as if this is on a chart because, like, he went back and data mined it. I'm sure there were headline stories about how this was the uh. first time in decades that there hasn't been more than five positive days in in a calendar month or whatever this is. People make up the stupidest reasons to sell, and we're looking at this reasons to sell that you tweeted out, which is great. It was we should it's we from should Michael Batnick a couple of years ago. So I think it it doesn't even go all the way through today, but it's it's up to pretty yeah, recently. March of 09 through was, actually March of 17, so it's yeah, over it's a year. From last year, yeah. But stupid stuff like the Dow falls 1000 points for the first time ever. Right, uh, but looking at this chart it all looks stupid now at the out the rearview mirror, but all of this stuff seemed like a legitimate threat, or it, it like it could have marked the top at the time. And there were people out there that believed it. And it's not as if you could entirely dismiss them in the heat of the moment. Some of some of these, like like the other one, no more than five positive days in a month, like that. Okay, so like maybe maybe there weren't that many people worried about that. I'm not even sure because I was just getting started in the business here. But the flash crash. Uh, in in 2010, or U.S. stocks fall 20% in 2011. Like people were were worried about that. I'm sure, like I you was. were worried about that. Sure. But now in the rearview mirror, these are stupid reasons to sell. They are. But but that doesn't mean that they were stupid at the time. I tweeted this out yesterday. What I wrote about it was like this just shows how how hard it it a game it is to play if you're going to try to like time the market. Yeah. Or get out at the top or something because all of these probably looked like the top at the time. Yeah. Or you could make a you could make a compelling case. And now they look stupid in the rearview mirror. So I think the lesson to be gleaned from that is to not bother with trying to time the market because you're gonna look stupid more often than you're not. If you if you predicted all of these and then the next one that's not on this yet, you hopped out of the market at that one too and you end up being right. Were were you even right or did you predict twenty of the last one bear markets? Right. And, right. and what value is there to that? What did that do to your returns in the interim, jumping in and out and getting freaked out about all this stuff? I look at these things and I'm like, wow, these were, you're right, in the last nine or 10 years, some of these were really big stories, but they were stories. We had a guy who, ac who actually called up and said, should I be concerned about the physical cliff? Right. Like, like he didn't even know what the what the term was, fiscal cliff. And that was at the end of 2012. 
And I mean, look at what the market did in 2013. I mean, just really ridiculous. And in fact, in the middle of 2013, the government shut down. It shut down for four days. Was was 2013 not also the uh, the taper tantrum yes, in the middle was. of the year? Yep, on the way to 30 percent, 30 percent year. So, uh, but and, I mean, I, and uh, th- those were legitimate concerns though at the time, sure. right? Like, yeah. and and also like taper tantrum. So like the stock market felt that, but like also the bond market was was the focal point there. And I'm pretty sure that if you put money into like any any bonds at that point, you've almost certainly made money over the last five six years now. Like it's, so, it's not as if like that was that wasn't a valid concern about bonds then either. But everybody was like, I have to sell my bonds. This is it. Like we're done. Yeah. I I look at these two things right next to each other on this uh, on this map. Taper tantrum, and that was in uh, May or June, I think, of 2013. Right. Taper tantrum. Get this. 10-year rates jump from 2.5% to 3%. They, so they haven't moved. What are, what are they today? Yeah. yeah. They haven't moved in five years. Uh, and then the other thing, which I was, happened- I was told this was a rising rate environment, sir. <laughs> I'm, I mean, rates have been going up. It's just that it hasn't been, it hasn't at least yet, been, it hasn't been the apocalypse that was predicted uh, yeah. when, when, when the Fed was supposed to start doing this. So we also have this pullback in fall of 2014. 14. Gosh, this seems so long ago, though. Ebola virus uh, contagion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I know you have like such a such an issue with deeming I, that the I, Ebola pullback. I back. can't get over this because that happened the same week that the Fed stopped their quantitative easing program, and nobody talks about that at all because it's sexier to talk about getting a monkey bite. So I agree with you that it was probably. There were probably people concerned about both at the time, but to speak to your earlier point, don't both of those things look just as stupid out the rearview mirror now? Of course Regardless they do. of whether you were concerned about the end of QE or Ebola in 2014 when that happened, you were making a mistake by trying to hop out of the market and wait till things settled down or like, you know, we had more clarity or more less uncertainty as if that's anything that we can ever get. So clients are looking at their accounts now. We're recording this at the end of August 2018. And all of a sudden, people are starting to realize, hey, the market isn't as bad as it seems. We got a call from a longtime client yesterday, and he was like, wow, I can't believe how great things are. And I'm like, are they? Are they really? Because if you read some of the headlines in the paper, they don't seem very good. But other things indicate otherwise. So the stock market's going to move irrespective of the headlines. And what you tweeted out the other day, and I hope Tim can include this in the show notes, is just a perfect example of all of these things. Some are market-related, some are not. It's just kind of crazy. Like, what makes it, what's great about the market now? We haven't had a down year in nine years now. Every year since since 2009 has been a great year in the market. There hasn't but been a negative year in the S&P 500 since then. They've all been good. Maybe I'm a little foggy, but didn't we start the year kind of in the muck this year? This year? I mean, the market went straight up and then it went straight down. Right. And January was pretty good. And then February, March, and even into April, we were kind of going sideways to down. Right. And so I think if the market's not going up, like on, was it Monday this week where the market went up 1%? I mean, that gets people's attention. When it goes down 1%, that also gets people atten- uh, people's attention. But otherwise, that day-to-day grind, is it two-thirds or three-quarters of the time the market 
tends to drift higher most years. It's so three quarters of the time on a yearly basis, coin flip on a daily basis. So right. you, you determine your own reality there. How often do you want to check in? That's really what it's about. Right. How often do you want to check in? And what excuse do you want to pay for yeah. to say it was the Ebola virus well, that took me out? And you can you can apply that to the other side too. Like people think the market's better now than it was nine years ago for whatever their reasons may be. Uh, but the facts are the facts. The market's been up every year for nine years, regardless of whatever your narrative is that you want to apply to it. Facts are the facts, but let's also say that while the market's been up for the last nine years, it doesn't mean that it's been straight up either. No, and that's what this, this chart speaks to the idea that like the market can be good and we can still have events each and every year that send us down 5, 10, 15 percent, even 20 percent in 2011. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, so those things are not mutually exclusive. The market does not have to go only up to be good. We've had a great market environment for eight, nine years now, and we've had tons of crap along the way to scare you out. I think the thing that a lot of people, uh, it's easy to look back in the rearview mirror or to use hindsight and say, you know, the market's average 9 percent a year. I don't remember making 9% a year, and I certainly didn't get those kind of returns. So you use a great term that I've adopted about markets being market returns being lumpy. I actually just sat through a client meeting this morning, and I had to explain that to, them, uh, to folks that were in here, how these things don't go in straight lines. They just don't. When you see these headlines in the news about... 3,453 days later, the U.S. bull market becomes the longest on record. I just want to put that up on the dartboard and start poking holes in it because it hasn't been some happy days are here again type of parade. Not at all. I don't want to live through this through this page again, but we've had our own share of the roller coaster ride uh, along the way. That's what makes the market a market. Right. If there weren't a roller coaster ride, there would be no money to be made because there would be no risk involved. It would just right. be a money printing press, which is yeah. How fast is the printing press going? Yeah, you know, is it going at eight percent this year? You know, is it going at two percent? Is it going to thirty? It can be that for you if you want to be completely detached from the the, the the scary things that are happening along the way. You you can get returns like that by sitting on your hands, but most people can't do that. I think what, what makes me really scratch my head, though, is that immediately after you see a headline like that, somewhere buried in the first or near the top of the second paragraph is the thought or the implication that the, the end is coming. And again, like the number, however many 3,000 whatever days, like there's nothing that's that is correct. Like by the definition of what they are saying, that is true. There's nothing wrong with that stat. It's what people infer out of that or take away from it. Like it is implying something that like the market has to go down because it has been up for 3,000 days or whatever. Not that that's even true, but like... Yeah. There's nothing wrong with with saying a statistic. It's how people interpret it. And I think a lot of people do interpret it how you're explaining. It's, it's oh, we've had such a good run. Like, that means it has to come to an it's end. It's got to end sooner or later. It doesn't really mean anything. I mean, right. at some point before this, before this became the longest bull market ever, there was one before that. And I don't really know. It would be interesting, I think, to see whatever, however many days the one before this was, 3,000 whatever minus this, okay, 
what was the one before that and how many days and how long did that record go? Like, was the previous one 2000 something? And we had a thousand days of, of it being the longest bull market ever. That's like three years, four years of, of a run that probably also felt like it couldn't continue. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. And I, I mean, just for clarification, are they talking about calendar days or market days? Not sure. I, I don't know. Uh, I, I just think that it's easy to get sucked in by these headlines and it's going to force you into, we talk about, there's a guy that wrote the book about uh, winning the loser's game, Herb Charlie Ellis. Charlie Ellis. Yeah. Uh, and, to, and he talked about unforced errors. Right. And you, you look at all of these reasons to get out of the market, you know, oh, the, you know, Greece is falling apart, the physical cliff, Ebola virus, give me a break. You know, some of these other things, gold coming out of nowhere, going to $1,900. Basically, if you took those signals to make a move, make a big change in your allocation or to get out of the market, you were wrong. And the funny thing is, this is kind of what I used to tell clients. Like if you sold anything in the 1980s, if you sold anything, you were wrong. You made a mistake. I mean, you're always in the history that we have. You're always wrong if you sold at any. You were wrong if you sold before 2008. If you sold yesterday, like, you know what I mean? Right. Like you, you were still wrong. But but people don't care about it in that in that way. It's every one of these is unique, and it's it's like we said before. It's easy to go back and say these were mistakes in hindsight, but they don't feel like a mistake in the moment when you when you want to wait it out and see if see if uh, the dust will settle and then you'll get back in when things are safer or whatever it never feels like that in the moment so to just arbitrarily say like they were all mistakes like yeah they were but but are you sure about this one this is right. the new one this is now what if this is different it also depends on like what what you're defining as wrong is wrong like the performance over the next year is it is it over the next three years, five years? Is it over the remainder of your lifetime that you're going to be investing? Because if it is the last one, you're probably always going to be wrong if, you, if you're like selling out. Because given a long enough time horizon, like I said, you were, you were wrong to sell in 2008 if you had a long enough time horizon. Well, this kind of leads to uh, a discussion that we have a lot with people about, hey, if the market is giving you indigestion where you can't sleep at night, because you're afraid that, hey, I missed selling before the Ebola virus. And I, you know, I missed that 14%. I, I'm now down 14% after this whole news on Ebola came out. Maybe you have too much money in the market. Right. But there, that's like the, the flip side of that is, is balancing that with the regret of in 2013 when you're not 100% in stocks and the market's up 30% and you only made. 20 because you have a balanced portfolio i know look i understand like the the greed that's involved with that but it's very real so you have to balance those two parts of it what are you going to regret more missing out on a gangbusters year where the market goes up 30 percent or or are you going to care more about bearing the full brunt of a 20 percent drawdown or 30 percent drawdown and and you come up with something in the middle because you're going to want to balance those things i'm not a psychologist but i think that 
people worry and lose sleep more over losses Agreed. than they do about whether to get in or get out or Agreed, but we've both seen we've both seen the other side of that too. Yeah. When when people haven't captured enough of the upside. So I think both of them exist and their conversations and thoughts that you're gonna have over and over, like Monday morning quarterbacking yourself or whoever's doing your investments for you. Uh, why why did we bear the full brunt of this? Or why didn't we capture all the upside in that? And I think if you're going to invest in that like binary fashion where you need to hop out because of the Ebola crisis and then get all back in because you need the upside, it's a tough game to play. And I, I don't think what you do over the long term is going to be worth the agita that it, that it creates for you. I know we talked not too long ago with with some clients about the idea of finding this balance in in their portfolio and i brought up something that i've heard a handful of times on different podcasts a story about harry harry markowitz who kind of like pioneered um the efficient frontier and like finding the right weightings for these asset classes in portfolios he was asked what he did with his own personal money i think one time and said that i i'm 50 50 i'm like half (laughs) half in stocks half in bonds because because of exactly what we just described. Like I have some money in there. So when things are going up, I feel good because I have some exposure. And then when things are going down, eh, at least, you know, it could have been worse. I could have had all my money in the market. So at least I had some in bonds. Um, And then on the flip side, you look at a guy like Charlie Ellis and if he's listening, (laughs) you know, he has no bonds. He's 100% in equities. That's right for some people, but not for everybody. I think the list of people that that's right for is very short. The longer a bull market goes on, the more people think they can opt themselves into that list. But I really don't think that that is right for a lot of people. Again, I, you know, without getting into specifics, we actually had someone here at the table not very long ago who told us that she completely sidestepped the mess in 2008. You yes, know who I'm talking about. Selective memory is good. It is unbelievable now how we're getting ten months away, uh, ten years away from the fall of 2008, and people are instantly forgetting or selectively remembering the events that took place at that time. It's amazing because if you had money invested in the run-up to that, and you just didn't do anything, you could have just as selective a memory now and say like, yeah, I ate a 40% drawdown in my portfolio, but who cares? I'm up 300% since then. What does it matter? Um, But most people don't have the ability to just move on from things like that. It It was a lot all at once. And I think that really shook a lot of people. Sure. And it's hard to even tell someone exactly what's going to happen in the future. Imagine that we're, you know, at the Thanksgiving table in 2008 and we're telling people that 9 or 10 years from now the market's going to be it's going to have tripled and we won't like this this yeah. won't matter. Yeah. Yeah, imagine saying that with a straight face and that's why all of these reasons to sell over the years seem just as legitimate as that. Because remember that one time when it was like a 50% drawdown? What if this is the next one? Right. Don't I want to get out now while it's only down 10? Ebola was the trigger. Like, but who knew? But in the moment, it's like we're chuckling about this now, but like, and there's no there's no answer. I'm not saying there's an answer to help people discern whether this is like the real deal or not. I don't think there is one. I think what what kind of bothers me uh, a little bit after being in the business this long is that some of the happy faces and some of the the glee that I hear on the phone with some clients 
today is going to turn into tears. Even though we warn them, we tell them, we do the right things to protect them, they're still going to be unhappy when the market goes down. Oh, of course. I mean, that's that's our job. That's that's why we have a job is to help people deal with these emotions because this is crazy. Like this is people's livelihood on the line. So I get that there's emotions in it and, and that every 5% dip feels like it's the next 2008. Yeah, It's our job to keep people doing the right stuff so that they don't blow themselves up. I mean, yeah, it, it would be great if everybody were robots and we could just uh, send them like an email update and say like, everything's cool, don't worry about your account. But that's not gonna work for it most doesn't, people. They it would, doesn't work that they wanna, way. They wanna hear from somebody and vent their concerns and have their questions answered. And I think that's hopefully why our profession will exist forever. Well, markets can turn on a dime, so can emotions. Yeah, and that's that's the bothersome part. It still bothers me all these years later. It's like you know, I, some of these people are gonna call up someday and they're gonna be upset. They're gonna be unhappy, and that's and that's too bad. Even if we do all the right things, that doesn't mean do what they want. It means do the right things for them. They're still gonna be unhappy. That's life. Can't, can't please everybody, and there's always gonna be unhappy people. But yeah. uh, comes with the territory, I suppose. I think today. Six, six years ago today, I uh, came in for my first day of work at Maluli Asset Management. So not that I have oh. uh, not that I have a ton of insight to share. I still still haven't seen a bear market, so nothing I say counts. But uh, so this year you can for the next year you can wear the Wally Backman jersey number six. Okay, and then a year from now we'll give you the Jose Reyes. Uh, I'm gonna pass on that one. All right. Well, thanks for listening to episode 226, and we'll catch you in the next time. 